Welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. My name is Conrad Weaver. Thank you for joining us today. Welcome to the program. This We bring you these programs on a fairly regular basis as a part of our effort to spread the word about first responders and to encourage first responders. So this podcast is uh, for first responders and for those who support first responders. And so if you are a first responder, first of all, thank you. Thank you for your work, for uh, serving your community. And if you are watching us on our YouTube channel, please leave a comment and let us know where you're watching from. We'd love to hear from you. And if you have not subscribed to our YouTube channel or if you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please subscribe so you don't miss an episode. And then if you find this content valuable for you and helpful, uh, leave a comment and leave a review and then share it with your tribe. Uh, we really want to get the word out about this program and about the upcoming documentary that is in production, PTSD 911, the documentary. Uh, I am also the director of that film. We are diligently working to get this film uh, done and in the can, so to speak, so that we can pre present it to the world. And we would love for you to participate with us in the film by supporting us financially. So this program, the PTSD 911 Presents and the documentary film is all supported by your contributions. And so if you can make a contribution toward that, there is a link in the show notes or in the comments below. Please uh, make a contribution uh, for whatever amount you feel you can do, whether it's $10 or $100 or $1,000. We would love to have your contributions to be able to continue to bring you these programs and to continue to work on the documentary film. We cannot do this without your support. So thank you for that. And for so many of you who have already made a contribution, uh, we, we thank you for that, for those contributions. And if you have not yet made a contribution, please consider what you can give today. It, it's very important that we have that support so that we can continue to bring these programs and to finish the film uh, as we go on. Today, my guest is Jason Kern. He began his career in public safety in 1991 and is currently serving as the executive director of, of the Southeast Emergency Communications in Crystal Lake, Illinois. Jason is also the current president of the Association of Public Safety Communication Officials, or APCO, as it's commonly called. Jason, welcome to PTSD 911 Presents. Thanks. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So tell me a little bit about how you got your start in public safety and why. You know, going back into high school and, and early on to college, I, I got into the fire service. And in college, I got into emergency medical services on campus as something to do. It, it seemed fun. And, um, you know, really, I wanted a stepping stone. And, and back in the early 90s, the stepping stone to a career in the fire service or the police service uh, was to become a dispatcher. Uh, so I, I found a, a local community college that was seeking dispatchers and went to work there. And uh, I'd say pretty quick, I found a passion and a love for for that side of the public safety. Uh, and it's become, you know, it's become a career. I, I've dabbled in the fire side 10 years as an EMT. Uh, 10 years as a part-time police officer, but since 1993, I've been uh, working in the public safety communications field and doing 911. And, uh, you know, I've told my friends and my family many who years have not understood why I do what I do or exactly what I do. But uh, when I stop enjoying the work that I'm doing, I'll go find somebody else, some something else to do. And at this point, I'm still enjoying it. 
I guess, why do you think anyone is really drawn into a career in public service, whether it's on the communication side or responding to emergencies out in the field? I, I think it can be varied. Um, you know, I know early on going through interviews uh, for, for different jobs, it was the, you know, the canned, I want to do this to help people. Um, and that truly was it. I, I had a desire to to give back to the community and to the people with a skill set that, that I learned. And uh, I found that I worked well under pressure, uh, both as an EMT and then on the police side and definitely uh, sitting in a, in a closed little bubble, if you will, and answering mm-hmm. 911 calls and, and working through it. Uh, it became almost second nature very, very quickly for me. So, um, you know, what drew me into it or, or what gets people into that? I think a lot of it may be because your parents said, don't do that or you don't want to do that. You want to go be something else. So we have to be a little bit, a little bit rebellious. I mean, I'm finding that with my 18 year old is as much as we're trying to steer him clear from this industry, all of a sudden we find him diving straight into wanting to go into the public safety or the public services. Um, but it, it takes a special breed. Uh, and, you know, the generations have definitely changed over the years. So uh, it's been interesting to kind of watch the watch the profession adapt uh, in some regards to it. So speaking of changes, what has changed over the years in in communications specifically? I think two things that that I'll note. I think first is is the technology uh, is just rapidly accelerating, uh, sometimes faster than we can keep up, both financially uh, and training wise. You know, it's just the next whenever you look, there's something else that's come out that's that's meant or intended to to try to help the job that we do or the first responders, the other first responders that are actually out in the field. Uh, The second thing I think is the uh, how how the rest of public safety and how the public looks at at uh, public safety communications now. And we we often were and we're still classified as as clerical uh, by the federal government. Uh, but when you truly look at the work we do, it's it's the furthest thing from clerical. We're uh, really the first people uh, that somebody in their worst moments have contact with. What still needs to change in in your in your field? You know, there's a lot of gaps. There's some centers that are extremely um, progressive, and there are some that are just you know hanging on by a thread. Whether it be financially, whether it be staffing, uh, whether it be um, you know, the training side of things. So I think it's it's important to try to close that gap and to help, you know, those that are maybe the, the haves and the have nots to, to try to get them a little bit closer to each other. Uh, you know, the like I said, it's somebody's worst day when they call 911 or when they request the police or fire department and we need to be on our A game. So we need to make sure we train and, you know, we debrief on things and, uh, you know, try to be as, as best as we can, as great as we can. Mm-hmm. How has training changed over the years from the time when you first got into this business? You know, what's been what's different now than what it was back then? There is very specific job training for public safety communications. Now, when I first got on the job, you would go to training classes with police officers or firefighters in a in a subject matter that was specific to them. But they tried to bring the dispatchers into it uh, to make them feel part of it. And now there is very specific training from you know, just your entry level, a public safety telecommunicator certification to uh, communication training officer certifications to communication center supervisor certifications. Um, so our industry and, you know, specifically with APCO, um, you know, we're training the individuals, we're, we're creating standards with subject matter experts uh, that will train uh, individuals across the country on a, on a very even platform. 
and I think that's that's been a tremendous um, change for us, and it's helped us kind of advance our career. And I think really kind of justify, uh, you know, like I said, when I started it in the 90s, it was it was a stepping stone. You were a dispatcher for a few years, then mm-hmm. you went to be a police officer, a firefighter. You talk to a lot of chiefs now or command staff and, and police and fire. Uh, and you'll probably hear them say, I used to be a dispatcher for a few years, you know, and, and I really admire what you do. I, I couldn't do it again. Um, but now you don't necessarily do you think see that's that. different that it, that it's not quite as, uh, as much of a stepping stone anymore that people are going directly into, you know, fire or EMS or police, and then going directly into dispatch for that career. Yeah, I think, I think it, it definitely has changed. I think there's more people going directly into the field they want. Uh, we still do see some individuals. We've had some at my center that they've come in for a few years because they weren't sure they wanted to kind of get the feel for the profession and, and see if they wanted to. We've had some that have decided to test and have been extremely successful as police officers and fire medics. Uh, we've had some that said, you know, I really enjoy what I do, or I'm not really sure I want to be out there, especially with uh, the way the world is today. And and it's just safer for me or for my family to, to be here and still give. Uh, and they've done that. So it's it's a constant movement. And, and we, we always have to watch is, you know, how it's how our next generation or how our next group of employees are. And we have to adapt to it uh, because if we don't adapt to it, I think we'll we'll be lost very quickly. So for the uninitiated and for maybe uh, civilians like myself, what's a typical day like in the in the day of an emergency communicator? You know, I think like many things, it's every day is different. Um, you have your calls that are very standard, um, but, you know, we'll find our, our, uh, our public safety telecommunicators work 8, 10, 12 hour shifts uh, often. And, you know, you know, with the staffing situation that we have across this country right now, they're often working a lot of overtime, some voluntary, some not voluntary. Uh, but you're you're taking the phone calls and you just don't know what you're going to answer, even if it's not a 911 call. If you grab a non-emergency number, uh, it may be somebody that's grabbed a number from Google and they've dialed that way and they get your dispatch center on a 10 digit non-emergency number. Uh, but they have a fire in their house or. Uh, you know, you may have somebody that's called 911 because there's a, a stray dog that looks threatening in their backyard. Uh, so there's no rhyme or reason sometimes to the calls. And when you sit here, I, I mean, I think in the past year, probably across the United States, we've answered 240 million 911 calls. Um, and, and not one of them is the same. And uh, when we start answering those, I think we get a little conditioned to to answering those calls so i can say in my 29 30 years dispatching and being the roles that i am and and now being in the the administrative or the management role but still listening to the calls on a regular basis you know you hear things and you're like well that's really not that much of an emergency but but yeah it is it is if my 80 year old mom had a call it's absolutely that's an emergency for her for me that's that's handled thousands of phone calls over the year it's just okay i know how to do this and and I'm a little bit calm, and I think that's the calm voice in, in the dark that people need. Mm-hmm. What are some of the stressors that impact 911 professionals? I think sometimes not taking things personal. Um, when, when people call, uh, they're often in a heightened sense of stress, and sometimes they'll say things or they'll, they'll just phrase things in a way where uh, at times a, a dispatcher you know, may take it to heart a little bit. And, and they weren't attacking that dispatcher. They're just very stressed in the situation. Uh, I think is you take a heart attack right now and you've just given CPR for six minutes, 
And then you hang up the phone, you take a sip of water, and then you go grab a phone call on a rollover accident. And then 10 minutes later, you're taking a loose dog call. You bounce from call to call to call as a dispatcher, and you don't really get that closure. And I think sometimes mm -hmm. for some individuals, and not all, uh, but for some individuals, I think having the closure of what happened on that call kind of helps pacify them and, and reduce some of the stressors and, and make them kind of validate the, the job that they're doing. So I, I think that's that's pretty important for them to uh, to kind of understand that. So what's been a typical response for an agency as a whole when there's been a critical incident? You know, I think it's varied um, and I don't want that to be my answer. But, you know, you mm -hmm. see you see a lot of different dispatch centers and some are sheriff run. A lot of them are sheriff run. A lot of them are police run. And then you have a lot that are fire run. And then you have certain ones uh, specific, you know, my, my uh, agency here at CECOM, uh, where we're our own governmental agency. Uh, so we're not directly under the umbrella of a police chief, a fire chief or a sheriff. And, you know, not speaking negatively to any of those, quite honestly, sometimes they have uh, significant resources. Uh, but on, on the larger incidents, we look at it from a couple, you know, different aspects of, you know, if our agency is going to do some sort of debriefing, uh, we'll definitely have that communication. I'll have that communication with the chief and, and we'll see if we can partner up. And we, we partnered up on the call. We took the call. We dispatched the police and fire. Uh, we all had various, various stress or, you know, challenges with that call. So let's all debrief together and, and try to figure out how, uh, you know, how it went and, and kind of share some notes. Uh, there are times where we won't necessarily do that and we'll just do it independently or it may take a little while uh, a fire department sometimes they, you know their work shifts so that shift may not be back for another three days we may not want to wait three days for our staffing or maybe they're going on some days off so we'll do something a little bit quicker uh, we've we've called in uh, on certain instances we've we've borrowed a chaplain from one of our agencies and had them come in just to have a conversation with some staff um, you know more as a voluntary but to be available uh, as they come offline or, or take a break and, and just have a conversation, especially I think when you get into some of your calls um, involving children, uh, you know, many of us that are parents, but even non-parents, uh, those calls that are, you know, involve children really stick with you. So um, those are the ones we, you know, we really try to highlight, but we, we count on our supervisors as well, uh, because I don't think anyone knows what's going on in the room, uh, it, but that supervisor does or the, or the, the partners, the teammates know. And sometimes we'll get a call from them of, hey, we took this call, didn't think it was much, but it's really kind of impacting so-and-so. Maybe they have a personal connection to it or they had a similar instance in their life. Um, so we'll be like, oh, OK, thanks for the call. And let's, um, you know, let's work on something here to help them through the process. Mm -hmm. As an industry as a whole, is it typical for dispatchers and I want professionals to not be included in in critical incident debriefings uh, or, or is that is that typical or is it not? I would say 10 years ago, it was not typical, uh, at least in my experiences and in, in the area that I was in. Uh, but but it was changing at that time. And now I would say it is it is fairly common. Uh, and I would say it's it's probably unusual for us not to be included uh, or at least have a reach out from an agency to, you know, whether they're actually doing a, uh, a stress debriefing or just a critical incident review and, and walking through the timeline of what went well, what didn't. Um, you know, we'll kind of hit both of those, but they are often calling us and we are participating as much as we can. So I think that that threshold and maybe even that stigma has been broken um, in what I've seen. 
Mm-hmm. Uh, so there's a story that I heard from one uh, dispatcher who's now retired, but she said that she was involved in a critical incident and uh, it was very traumatic and it really took her down a dark path uh, after this. And all the, 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 the officers who were involved, it was a police involved shooting. Uh, one of the officers got shot and all, they all got together and they had resources provided for them. But she was told, you're a civilian, you'll be fine. And was kind of kept out of that. And I find that just preposterous. That's I would, would think just because you're a civilian, you're not in an official, you know, uh, part of the police force that you, you're, you're going to be fine. And, and there still is that. And I think that's the those are the have nots, um, you know, whether it be the training side, whether it be the recognition side. Um, you know, there's just so many components where, you know, we should be. Uh, and that's where, you know, on the APCO side, we continue to advocate for for public safety communication, for these public safety telecommunicators to to make sure they're part of this this piece. I mean, it's it's a family, it's a group. You really can't have you can't have the fire department successfully go out and put out a structure fire unless or go out and save a life on a CPR save. Um, I mean, just this morning uh, on our midnight shift, we we helped deliver a baby on the phone that may not have been successful. Uh, if they had to call a hospital or drive to the hospital, they had to call 911. We went through a very uh, regimented set of instructions that we're highly trained in doing, and the paramedics that are highly trained got there, and, and it was a very successful event. Um, you you often cannot do one without the other, uh, and I think that's what we continue to push. And mm-hmm. and you'll find, uh, and, and I consider myself older school, uh, but I've had some some pretty good mentors in my life that have you know had me check myself a little bit and and kind of realize that. You know, maybe I don't need the recognition. Maybe I don't always need to talk things out. But just because I don't need to do that, it doesn't mean the other 30 or 40 people that I work with, um, you know, may have a different set of needs. And, you know, as I work with the the chiefs that I work with have been absolutely fantastic in, in trying to incorporate and really recognize the dispatchers. But we know around the country that's that's not the case. And I think as as time goes on and as we have some turnover and we continue to advocate and bring things into the forefront, uh, you know, we'll slowly chip away at that, hopefully faster than mm-hmm. slow. But. Mm-hmm. So I was on the uh, APCO website today and I, I noticed something called EMD. So for the uninitiated, what is EMD and why is it important? So EMD is emergency medical dispatch. And um, there, so APCO has a, an emergency medical dispatch product as, as does some other companies and some agencies are able to develop their own and really what emergency medical dispatch is, is it provides instructions. We are instructed and taught and trained how to use a set of guide cards for a wide range of medical emergencies that you may have. So if you are allergic to bees and you're out working in your yard and you're stung uh, and you call us, we have a set of instructions that will walk us through how to do that. Uh, and possibly, you know, not only are we instructing you or the caller on how to do things, but we're also updating those first responders, the police officers, the paramedics, the, you know, the, the fire department that may be coming out as well as to what's going on. So they know uh, it could be a choking instance, uh, a heart attack, the, the childbirth that I just mentioned. Um, you know, while, while everybody's pretty good at, at doing a YouTube video, I don't think when somebody calls, you have time to go to a YouTube video. You go through these guide cards and mm-hmm. you ask the specific questions. And, and then it just, it kind of guides you along as to, okay, I need you to position somebody on the ground. Uh, let's check for breathing. Let's go ahead and start chest compression, send somebody for an AED. 
Um, you know, do they have an EpiPen? Um, you know, are they choking on some food? How best to do that at a restaurant? And, and we've seen some really successful, um, some successful saves in, in many parts of the country. Uh, we're a mix of, of suburban and, and some a uh, little bit more rural areas here. So we can have an ambulance in certain parts of our jurisdiction, which is about 100 square miles. Uh, we could have an ambulance in one of our cities there in two, three minutes. Um, and then another part, maybe 15 minutes, depending on you know how far they need to go or is the farm well marked or where out on the farm are they going? Mm-hmm. Um, so in that time, which is an absolute eternity for the caller, uh, even the two or sure. three minutes, you know, if you're calling and you're waiting, it's where are they? Why aren't they here? Or why are you asking questions? Well, while we're asking questions, it's great teamwork. We're, we're putting information in a computer. Uh, it's going to the, the responders. They can see what exactly is being done and, and what the issue is. We're walking you through some steps. Uh, but we need to you know, constantly reassure people. And, and we do something neat at our agency. And um, definitely wasn't my idea. I found it at another agency, but it's called a wall of life. And it's one of those, um, as I understand uh, you know, the workforce and, and the different generations and, and the younger generations or just the needs of, of different individuals, uh, we created a wall of life. And for every successful CPR save or childbirth or, uh, you know, like an airway obstruction that, that we clear uh, and somebody, you know, walks out of the hospital really has a second chance at life. Um, we have a nice board on our walkway as, as any Cub Scout tour, as any chief of police comes in, any one of our agency members come in. It's right outside the glass wall for our employees to look at. But since 2016, when we started this, we've had 26 saves where somebody, in essence, really shouldn't be here any longer. Uh, and we've provided them another opportunity uh, in life. And, and we've been part of it. You know, it's not just us, uh, but the instructions we gave through that AMD product has allowed um, the people to get the CPR started. Uh, pri- you know, and then the medics to get there and take them to the hospital and just that continuum of care. And, and I think that's pretty neat. And I think that's where maybe we were clerical in 1990s when I started this, but we are not clerical anymore by by providing those kind of life-saving instructions. That's going to be very rewarding to see that on the wall and to know that uh, you were a part of of saving someone's life and and giving them another chance. Yeah. And, and, you know, I've, so I've been at this agency since 2015, so seven years, a little over seven years. Uh, but to see that my staff has been a part of, and these are just the ones we know, um, but to be part of over 20, uh, 20 life-saving events uh, for for a near, almost a 30-year career, I mean, one, one is, one makes all the difference in the world and makes us mm-hmm. worth it and kind of revitalizes and let's go on to the next day and let's do something, you know, different. different so. Mm-hmm. So APCO is an international organization, from what I understand. How is emergency communications the same or different in other places around the world compared to the U.S.? I think you see a lot of a lot of similarities. You know, nine one one may be different; it may not be the same number in in different mm-hmm. parts of Europe or you know or elsewhere. Uh, but there's still that inherent need uh, that that. It, somebody needs help, they're going to call a number to get the police or fire department to come and resolve a, um, you know, a medical need, a fire need, or, you know, a law enforcement uh, intervention. So, uh, you know, we all need uh, training. Uh, and, and I really think is, is, you know, what your documentary is doing, and we're talking about PTSD, and we're talking about the wellness of individuals. You know, I think we start at the grassroots, and I think that training is important. If we put the tools in the toolbox, for our public safety telecommunicators, 
that has to take some stress out of the way for them. And that has to, you know, provide them the opportunities to be a little bit more successful than somebody that just doesn't have that. Uh, so I think it's important to, you know, to kind of start there and to try to train and try to get everybody on a uh, kind of a similar playing field uh, and go forward. And I think you're finding that across the across the world, not just across the United States, as they want the same thing. You know, you need reliable communications. You need to be able to have that radio communication so you can uh, inform the individual that uh, the baby that's being delivered is is now breach. Um, mm. You know, maybe they send somebody else out from a different station now that has more expertise or, um, you know, we had a an incident a number of years ago where I believe I don't know if it was a five-year-old, but it was a very young child that exhibited all signs of a stroke, according to our emergency medical dispatch cards. Uh, and the, the the 911 dispatcher that was on the phone relayed that information to the paramedics. And it just, it turned a light bulb in. One, they're like, you're crazy. There's no way a five-year-old's having a stroke. But two, okay, why did they say this? Let's look at it completely differently. And it was what we call a load and go. They grabbed the kid, they put the child in the ambulance, and they rushed to a hospital that specifically deals uh, with some stroke issues. And sure enough, it was a stroke event. Wow. And uh, because of that, I mean, critical minutes were saved. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it's things like that, that just across the, you know, all over the globe, everybody wants and, and expects the same thing. Mm-hmm. And of course, in some places you have your, your emergency response systems aren't quite as sophisticated as what we have here. And and I know even watching some of my friends in Ukraine that are responding to some of the things over there, you know, they mm-hmm. and look at their trucks that are going out on fires. And it's like, wow, that's that's like, you know, old school. Right. And so uh, so we're very fortunate here. So so you kind of answered my question. Uh, my next question, how has APCO responded to the growing awareness and the toll that the work your work has taken on the mental health of 911 professionals? You know, we're. We're a member-driven organization, so we've got APCO has a little over thirty-six thousand members, and uh, you know everybody has some different needs. But uh, within the last few years, we've really heard um, you know the wellness and the health uh, is very important in our industry, and uh, that's become kind of a paramount focus for us. And uh, Margie Mullen, who was the uh, the president uh, prior. Uh, had had really gotten this idea and talked to us on the executive committee that we wanted to form a committee, uh, which we call the Health and Wellness Committee, to really kind of deep dive and examine um, examine the issue and maybe what the potential solutions are or what the tools are that we can provide. So we have a Health and Wellness Committee uh, that is looking at different things, and we have them looking at training uh, on a pretty regular basis and some monthly correspondence to our membership. Uh, they are putting out uh, different items, and, and it could be today uh, an item about yoga. Tomorrow, it could be something about eating a little bit better. Uh, instead of me running to McDonald's in between meetings, you know, maybe I pack something and, and have some fruit with it. And just, just little things like that. We, are, uh, we sit. We sit for 8, 10, 12 hours a day. Um, you know, are there some exercises we can do? I, I can tell you most of the times when I walk into the center to see my staff several times throughout the day, somebody's walking. Um, you know, they'll have uh, different walking challenges with step challenges to walk around the console. Uh, occasionally you walk in and they're having a planking challenge. That's a little bit, I turn around and walk out then. I'm not sure what's going on there. But um, so this committee is looking at the different things and trying to provide some different different ideas. And, you know, maybe the planking challenge to me, I think, is the silliest thing in the world. But there may be another center where this is just the greatest thing in the world and it's and it's helpful. And, and not only does it provide the, the health and the wellness 
uh, but it provides some teamwork. So mm-hmm. uh, I think this committee is looking a lot of the, at a lot of that. Um, there at our conference this year, uh, there's actually going to be a track um, of health and wellness uh, classes or training sessions uh, throughout our multiple day event. So uh, it's really kind of coming into uh, into the forefront. And I, and I think the other thing out of this is, you know, like I said, training, a lot of people maybe won't think training is part of health and wellness, but if you don't provide that foundation, I, I think things start to crumble. Um, you know, you have to look at the, the physical health, you have to look at the mental health, the calls that we deal with every single day for all these years really does take a toll on everybody. Um, you, you have to look at the financial health of, of individuals too, and, and you need to provide tools to to help them because, you know, if people start having, if they're not just like the training, if they're, if you can help them with certain things with, um, you know, maybe a, a deferred compensation plan or a 401k or, or, you know, help them with their retirement in terms of just explaining it to them so they understand some things. Uh, I think that provides some, some financial health because, you know, if people are running check to check or, uh, you know, they owe some money or they've defaulted on a loan, that causes a lot of stress in their head. And then do they bring that stress into the workplace? Are they no longer a viable teammate? Um, do they have more opportunities to uh, have an error on a call? So I, I think it all comes together as a, as a package. And, and I think the last piece is, you know, as we've seen, the, the pandemic has been a huge mental. Um, nobody knows, you know, we'll have arguments in the center as to who's watching what channel and, and what bit of information are, are they going to believe. Uh, but along with the, you know, with the pandemic that we've had, um, you know, we've had some significant civil unrest and uh, some significant conversation on on really diversity and equity and inclusion. And that's something else that APCO's looking at. And uh, we've we've beta tested it and, and we're about to unveil a diversity, equity, and inclusion training course that not only looks at the individual, but looks at the institution, looks I don't think you can necessarily come into a center and teach one person about diversity and equity and inclusion. Mm-hmm. I think you need to make it a culture. Um, and, and just as that person that may have the, um, you know, the stressors for other things at home, the financial issues or, or things, if you have a center that um, doesn't have that right culture and, um, you know, there's just divides that are there or perceptions that are there, uh, the more we can teach a, a center on how to kind of grow as a team um, and work through those um, challenges, I think, makes a stronger 911 center. Uh, it, it, it sets it forward for the future generations. Uh, you know, if we make that stand now, uh, then the next people come in, it's this is the way, this is the expectation. It's, it's no longer a we'll get there, it's, it's we're already here. Um, and, and again, when we can, when can, people can focus on the 911 calls and the radio calls that are coming in from their police officers and their fire medics, uh, that's where our focus needs to be. So if we can take care of the rest of the things out here and focus them here, I think it makes us a better profession. Mm. So how as a leader, as a team leader, perhaps even as a as a you know leader of your specific group in, in a 911 center, you know, how can you really convince team members to to work on their health, not only their physical health, but their mental health. Recently, I was speaking to, uh, I was at a conference and speaking to a 911 dispatcher who said that, you know, I sit there all night on the night shift and I drink Cokes all night. And that has, you know, made me gain so much weight. And she recognized that as that as a problem. But how do you, you know, kind of kind of tactfully work with people that you see going down a, a habit like that? 
and help them to realize that this is perhaps not a good thing to do? It's, there's a lot of very individual approaches to this. And I think what fits for us and fits for our agency here at CECOM and a lot of other agencies that I've worked at is when you have a, a supervisor on the floor, you know, they're kind of a, I mean, I would say CECOM in our agency is a family. Um, and, but each, each shift is a little bit tighter because they work with each other on a regular basis and they know, they know things. I, I find a lot of, um, peer pressure maybe of, Hey, I'm doing this walking challenge. Why don't you do this walking challenge? Hey, we're going to go do this virtual 5k that Illinois APCO is, is sponsoring. Why don't we all do it as a shift? Uh, and then maybe we can go get breakfast afterwards and, and do things like that. I find a lot of, um, you know, the teamwork and the, the sense of family between the individuals. And I think that's very important. Um, you know, there are instances uh, that I've seen where you may have an individual that's um, really kind of going down a slippery slope. And we may see it from a physical side. We may see it from a quality assurance side uh, where all of a sudden they're they're really just slipping. They're not, the you know, the normal performance isn't there. So, you know, with our quality insurance program and the quality assurance that's going on across this country, I think you can have a little bit of an earlier intervention into, into what's going on with somebody. And, and often I think that may be, uh, you know, either a personal stressor at home, a, a mental health incident that's, you know, come to light now or has happened recently and, and we can go down that road. It's a, it's a very challenging approach as a, as a manager and as a supervisor to figure out exactly how and how tactfully to, uh, to have that conversation with, uh, with someone. But, you know, we try to train our supervisors and our management team, um, you know, through different processes and different training events uh, to kind of understand that a little bit more and, and also to try to uh, figure out how to have those difficult conversations. Hmm. So you have a, and we talked a little bit about this, you have a major conference coming up this year. What are some of your priorities for the, the, the conference and what do you hope that it, that it delivers to those who attend? You know, we're, last year was great to get back in person, uh, but I think a lot of people still were not able to travel, um, you know, with the pandemic still going on in, in 2021. Um, you know, we really, um, we really provide a great value both in training and I think networking. Networking is so important. And um, we find ourselves now on Zoom call after Zoom call. Uh, and, you know, you're bouncing from the call. There's no additional conversation. And I think the networking side um, to finding the subject matter experts across the country. Uh, you know, I may not have a lot of knowledge in one, one topic, but I can certainly, you know, I know through my years of going to these conferences and, and engaging with individuals, both after classes and talking and asking questions and like, wow, they have some similar thought processes as I do, or, or wow, that's a great program they have at their center. Let me go talk to them and get some ideas, or maybe I can even get a draft outline of, of what they've done. Uh, I, I think that's very important. Uh, you know, there's a social side to it, too. And, you know, I think that leads to, um, you know, greater mental health uh, is just being able to unplug. Um, you know, we do a lot of training in-house here, uh, but we re really value conferences like this to sending employees to conferences like this and others um, to just let them unplug, see other people around the country that do the same thing they do, share the stories, um, find people that uh, have different opinions and outlooks and you know, maybe make themselves better from that. So, you know, I think the the educational side is extremely important for us, but I think that that mentoring and and just kind of showing them what what we're looking at in the future for the membership is is going to be a great tool here. 
And I want to say personally, I appreciate the opportunity to be able to make a short presentation at the, at the conference this year. So looking it, forward to that. I'm glad you reached out and I'm glad we can accommodate that. So I really look forward to, uh, to hearing about this and, and seeing this documentary come to fruition. Mm. So what would you like the general public to know about 911 professionals? I think 911 professionals are an extremely dedicated and rare breed of individuals that, that most people will never see uh, or hear. Uh, I think now with uh, YouTube and the news and TikTok, you, you tend to hear maybe a few more phone calls. I'm not sure if the public really is ready to hear all those phone calls. Uh, you know, you could, you could go through an officer-involved shooting or you could go through uh, a heart attack or a, a significant car accident uh, and we may have five or six or ten of those in our career, uh, but in a, in a you know in a couple in a search engine here, the general public can go and listen to hundreds of them, uh, and I think that creates some some challenges for the, just the mental health of of everybody. But we have a we have a very unique, hardworking breed that you know answers millions of phone calls a year uh, and provides a very high level of service to send the police, the fire and EMS and anybody, anybody else that's needed in a very critical time. And, and a lot of thanks and a lot of praise are, are given to these individuals, probably not enough. Um, you know, I think something as simple as the recognition from the federal government, from the office of management and budget, that we are not clerical, we are not taxi cab dispatchers. Um, we are, you know, very high trained first responders, but we, operate, you know, from a central location. We don't go into the field to, to impact things. So mm -hmm. I'd, I'd really like to see that changed. Mm -hmm. So finally, I want you to speak to that dispatcher who's sitting in the chair and they're kind of suffering in their thoughts and contemplating some dark things because of the things that they've experienced, the stressors that they've had. What would you say to that person? I think the most important thing is, is you need to find an outlet. You need to find somebody to talk to. You need to find something to do um, to focus on those thoughts and figure out what's best. And uh, I think in most situations, you know, the career is, is a salvageable career. We just need to be involved and we need to figure out how best to get them back in the right, the right train of thought, the right, the right mind, uh, the right training. Um, so they can go and be successful every day. And, and there are some that maybe have just had a long career or had so many significant incidents uh, coupled with other things in their life that, that this isn't a career for them. But um, I, I think that the stigma of not talking to people, the stigma of not sharing the things that we deal with, uh, the stigma of not going home and having a cry when you have a bad incident, uh, I think those need to go away. Um, you know, the police officers do it. The firefighters do it. Um, and, and I think we, we need to do it and we need to support each other. Hmm. So is there anything else that is important to you that we didn't talk about today? You know, I think this is very, uh, uh, very near and dear to my heart. Uh, you know, the previous president had really formed our health and wellness committee and, um, I didn't feel that it was in my best interest to come out and form another committee of my own just to put my name on it. I, I felt so strongly that health and wellness um, is something that we should be focusing on that, that I want to drive the, you know, the executive committee and the board of directors at APCO to really assist this committee in being successful and giving us a product, uh, you know, for our membership and for the industry. So that's, that's where our, our drive and our focus is right now. And for the remainder of my term here through August. Mm 
So I just had another kind of idea or a question that popped in my head. So, so pardon me for that. Uh, what's the future look like for 911 professionals? I think it continues to become more technical. I think it continues to be more demanding. Uh, I think we need to continue to think outside of the box and how we uh, utilize the technology and how we staff our centers uh, and how we and how we train our individuals and how we take care of them. It is once the text messages and once the video, uh, the videos from crime scenes or accident scenes start coming in, uh, it, it brings a whole nother dynamic uh, to our industry. And, and we need to train for that. We need to prepare for that. And, you know, I think we always need to be one step ahead. And that's why I enjoy, you know, the conferences and, and things like that, because you can really see that there are some very proactive people and proactive individuals in this industry. And, and I love seeing what they're doing and um, trying to figure out how I can also be one step ahead, uh, both for my agency and the agencies I support and, and overall for the industry. But it's uh, it's moving fast and, and we need to try to stay up with it. Mm -hmm. So final question, I promise. What's something you do to... Uh take care of yourself and probably not enough um you know it's this these last few years both um between being a director of a 911 center um being the president of apco international uh, being a husband and being a father um it, not a lot of time mm -hmm. but uh we like traveling as a family and i i love being out on my motorcycle and that's kind of my um that's kind of my de-stress moment mm -hmm. Uh, as I can get on the bike and maybe listen to some music or just listen to the, you know, listen to the wind and look at the farms as I drive by. And, and you know, sometimes I'll be gone for an hour. Uh, you know, sometimes I'll call my wife from another state and say, I'll be home much later or I'll be home tomorrow. But, um, you know, that's what I found over the years has been my uh, my ability to kind of decompress and, and kind of refocus. Uh, and, and everybody has something different, uh, but that's mine and I enjoy it. You need to get yourself a 911 biker club together <laughs> <laughs> with the vests and all that, you know. <laughs> there you go. There you go. I'll let you know. <laughs> yeah. Well, Jason, thank you so much for taking time to talk to us today here on PTSC 911. I really appreciate that and appreciate the work that you do. Thank you for your service to your community and to the 911 community as a whole. I really appreciate it. Uh, the work they're doing and especially the work in in mental health and wellness in, in your organization well thank you i look forward to this documentary and uh, i look forward to seeing you in august thank you for joining us today on ptsd 911 presents and thank you for listening and watching our program and be sure to subscribe and leave a review on apple Podcasts or here on youtube really appreciate that if this content has been helpful for you please share it with someone else who may benefit from watching or listening to this content. Thank you for joining me today. Until next time, be well, take care of yourself, and I'll see you soon.